You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast featuring some of Indiana's most fascinating men and women whose impact has shaped our state, our communities, and us. Join us as we discuss their imprint on our history. Leaders and Legends is brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated, your local veteran business enterprise specializing in public relations, media relations, public outreach, crisis communications, and digital photography. My name is Robert Bain, Principal of Veteran Strategies, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Mayor Greg Ballard, and Communications Director for the Indiana Republican Party. I'm honored to be your host for our discussion. Thank you for joining the Leaders and Legends podcast presented by Veteran Strategies. And now to our great excitement, sponsored by the Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. We have their CEO joining us on the mic, Danielle Shockey. Thank you, Danielle, for joining us, not only for this podcast, but for future podcasts. Thank you. Oh, thanks for letting us be a partner to Leaders and Legends. We are excited to be here. Well, the credibility is all yours because uh, Leaders and Legends has gotten a terrific response, but being associated with an organization like yours will make all the difference, and we can't thank you enough here. Thank you, and look forward to many more podcasts and many kick-ass female guests, because that's what we're looking for, and we've got one today. (laughs) Shelly Fitzgerald has been an absolute rock of Gibraltar when it comes to standing up for herself the last several months. She is was employed at Ron Colley, I believe still employed administratively, however yes. you want to say it, yes. but has been a beacon of hope and love and kindness to many of us for the past several months. She has been very gracious in accepting our request to come on and kind of talk about her experience and how she was wrapped and really had almost the entire Indianapolis community wrap their arms around you. And we're very lucky to have you. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm going to stop. So thank you very much. And we appreciate your time. Um, It's funny. I wrote an article about you in August of 2018. I did not know you. But my kids went there and said great things about you. And when I saw what was happening, I thought it made sense for my very first star column ever to make you the focus of it. And I'm glad I did. And... All of us who care about how people are treated owe you a debt. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about how you got at Ron Colley, your connection to the Ron Colley family, and and what that community meant to you long before what happened last year. Sure. Uh, meant to me and means to me because, I mean, certainly I'm still a part of the community. Um, I grew up, uh, went to Nativity Catholic Church, went to Nativity School from kindergarten on through eighth grade, and then it was just expected that I was going to get to go to Roncalli. And so I've been a part of that community for, not to date myself, but well over 30 years, Mm -hmm. Um, active in the community, went to school there, loved everything about it, made great friends there. I've kept great friends there. Upon graduation from high school, I went down to the University of Southern Indiana and played softball um, down at USI. And after I graduated, moved back to Indianapolis for a short time, substituted at Roncalli, coached a little softball at Roncalli just to stay involved in the community. Um, got a big girl job up in Chicago and moved up there for a few years and, you know, quickly realized that, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a hometown girl. You know, I wanted to be closer to my family. I was having nieces and nephews, um, you know, just wanted to be a part, 
of, of being back here. So I moved back to Indy. I worked at Lawrence North for a few years and then recognized that everything that I loved about coaching um, and teaching was the relationships that you build with students. Um, probably not my favorite part wasn't the the lesson plans and the grading, but the, <laughs> you know, but the, uh, the the communication, the impact that you make on kids, the impact that they make on you. Uh, so I decided to go back to school and get my master's in in counseling, in school counseling, because that to me was like everything that I was doing on the coaching field. But then I got to be you know involved in the everyday. Uh, life. And so I went back to school and um, busted my way through in a year and a half, went full time, got my my master's in counseling and um, reached out to Roncalli, ironically, to ask them if I could do an internship there for free because I wanted to be back there so bad. And they didn't have any openings at the time, which was fine with me. I was willing to, to work there. And uh, right before the school year started, one of the counselors left and, um, and so I was able to interview for the position, had no experience, but, uh, was graced with being offered the position as a counselor. And, you know, this would have been my 15th year there. After three years there, I was asked to be the director. Well, I interviewed for the director of guidance position. Um, and I've been, I had been the co-director of guidance ever since. There's your church, our church right. is, it's had its moments lately, some good, some bad. But it seems to me that the Catholic community at Roncalli really rallied, not only because they know you, but also because it was the right thing to do. How do you, how is your opinion of the Roncalli family only grown in the last right. year? Because adversity is really where you get tested, right? I mean, right. farewell their friend, you know, that sort of thing. So how did your thoughts and, and dedication and commitment to Catholicism to the Catholic uh, education system get intensified in a good way over the last several months? Yeah, I mean, same way it did when I was there. You know, I think that that what happens is, you know, and going into how change happens, it's all in my life, what I've learned is that building relationships with people are important. You know, because whether it has to do with, you know, an issue like this where uh, with with the LGBT community and, and being discriminated against is it's really hard to hate someone up close, you know, especially when you're in a relationship with them. And aside from even, you know, in, in, aside from even being, you know, a gay woman is that it was my, my parents always taught me is that it's really important to build relationships with people because that's when people know your heart. You know, they don't know you from from standing back and not doing anything. But if you're involved in a community and you're a part of the community and you're an advocate for the community, you know, you love the community. And that's when people get to know you. Um, and so it's it's been easy at Roncalli. And anybody who, who's been in the hallways of Roncalli, and it could be from representatives from colleges who come and visit us to, you know, someone from St you know, Xavier from Cincinnati that comes and just wants to see what's going on is, you know, people comment all the time that there's something really special that you feel when you walk in the hall. And that's, you know, and that's community, right? I mean, we all look for things to be involved in, whether it's a church or, you know, some kind of a, a group that we get involved with because we want to find like-minded people 
who are like us, who believe the same thing. And the, and the values as you walk down the halls and you see the values of St. John, you know, the 23rd is, you know, to be humble and to be kind and to be welcoming and to be humorous. And, you know, all of those things at Roncalli, we teach the kids to be these things. They're the same things that I learned when I was growing up there and the reason that I wanted to come back there. And so I think there's a value system that is, um, is very special there. And so, you know, when the community rallied around me, I know that there were some people and are people who are very conflicted, you know, about, about where they are. And I've said since the beginning, and I mean it, you don't have to choose between me and Roncalli. You don't have to choose between me and the church. I haven't, you know, and, and there's some hurtful things that are going on at Roncalli in the archdiocese and in the church. Um, but I think that the important component is to continue to have conversation with one another, even if they're on the opposite side as you, so that we can come back together instead of continuing to make the division even greater than it is right now. No, I'm just thinking about lessons learned, right? You said it wasn't your favorite part of teaching, making the lesson plans and grading the papers, but I'm thinking about the students. So the students who have been a part of your journey, what do you think the greatest lesson for them has been so far? Um, good question. I mean, I think that, you know, what I've said since the beginning, the, the good lesson has been for these kids is that everything that you've been taught, you know, through your parents or through Roncalli or through, you know, your counselor or special teacher is to be kind, to stand up for one another, to stand up for the marginalized, to go to bat for people who can't go to bat for themselves. Um, we taught them that. I don't know that we anticipated that it would, you know, work out the way that it did, but they're doing exactly what we taught them to do. So I think that, you know, anytime I, I say this, you know, all the time is that kids are looking for a platform, just give them one, to, you know, to stand up on. And then when all of your values match what you're about to, you know, to go and take on, they, they've done that. It's been incredible, incredible to watch. So in Girl Scouts, um, being an advocate and standing up for what you believe is right and noticing in your community where things don't feel right or aren't right and and doing something about it is a huge part of what we do. It's part of our mission, making the world a better place. Absolutely. Take action projects. Did you see yourself prior to this last year as an advocate? And if so, for what? Yeah, thanks. You know, I've done a lot of reading on uh, because People have talked about, you know, Shelley Fitzgerald being an activist versus an advocate versus an ally. And, you know, I, and I looked into, you know, like, what does that mean? I mean, like, because I, I don't think that I ever recognized the difference between all of those things. You know, an ally, as it states, is being someone who is supportive of a cause because of the people that you love and are surrounded by. An advocate just going one step further and speaking up for those people. And an activist actually going out and trying to change, you know, the the legal precedent or whatever it is. To me, all of those things are critical. And, you know, it's it all is about where we are in our lives. And so, you know, what I know growing up is there's been part, there's been times in my lives, in my life where I've been an ally for people who were marginalized, but not necessarily outspoken in a way that, you know, that I could have been, whether it was because of, 
you know, my own self-consciousness or whatever. Um, but to let people know that you love them and you stand by them is important. And so an advocate, I was always an advocate for students, Mm -hmm. for student rights, for student. I mean, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to work at Roncalli is because I didn't want kids to feel the way that I felt when I was a Catholic you know, kid coming out at 17 years old and feeling extremely lonely and not knowing where the church was and and all of those things. And so one of the reasons I wanted to go back to Roncalli was because I wanted kids to know that you have an advocate and whether they knew that I was, you know, gay or not was that, hey, I have an adult who supports me no matter what, no matter who I am, she's a safe place to go. And so I live my life like that every single day. So as an advocate for students, whatever the cause was, I always felt like I was an advocate. Um, as an advocate for LGBT rights, um, you know, I read a, a cartoon the other day that that sums me up perfectly, and it was... Um, a person standing next to God on the edge of the cliff and God says, are you ready for your next faith journey? And the person says, yes, father, I am. And the next scene is God kicking this person off the cliff. Like, here you go. And, and essentially that's, you know, been my life is I'm an advocate for LGBT rights, but certainly wasn't an ad, a, 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 um, an activist in the way that, that I've kind of been pushed to become. Yeah. At, at some point you, we're sitting at home or in the car or at dinner and the mm-hmm. phone rang or your phone buzzed mm-hmm. and you read it or you started a conversation and that conversation was the beginning of the drama for lack of a better term of last year, late last summer. What, what was that moment like? And when did it hit you that not only is this going to change my life, but I also through my, energy and constancy have an ability to change other people's lives. Um, you know, my daughter, uh, transferred from a small school into a public school this year for the first time. And ironically, we were at her very first back to school night meeting, my first experience with a back to school night. So we were there and, and that's when I received the call and, you know, um, from our principal, just kind of giving me an update of what was going to transpire the next day. I I was stunned. I mean, I think that at that very moment, everything in me was like, okay, so what next? I mean, like, what does this mean? I had no idea was what was about to come. Um, the next day during the meeting, I think was the first time that I recognized that this was a decision that I had to make, um, that was going to change my life. You know, was it, you know, my options to either divorce my wife and leave my family or resign, um, but ultimately leading to me not having a job anymore and the one that I loved at the end of the year, I think it kind of didn't resonate right that moment until I walked away and thought. Because there's an assumption that you automatically, almost pavlovingly chose this path. You didn't have Mm. to choose this path. You could have said, well, you know what? I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to do something else, you know, quote, let them win, close quote. But it's it's not like that the, the way you've conducted yourself and the path you've taken the last six months, and there are certain things I know that we can't discuss, but it's not like that was the only option you had. Right. You had other options. Right. Um, I don't, I think that the turning point for me, to be honest, was about uh, three or four days in. 
Um, and certainly that following week, as I watched the students come together and speak out against this, um, and, and actually, you know, I'm really careful to say that no one was really speaking out against anything. They were speaking for something that they felt was right. Um, you know, they weren't protesting, they were rallying and there, and there's a big difference in my heart, um, where that is concerned. And so, you know, I remember, um, a weekend and it, like truly it would have been easy for, it would have been way easier for me to just be like, you know what, exactly. I, I got, I got to get rid of this. And, and so, um, I think David had texted me um, one morning. It was about 6.30 in the morning. I'm sorry, David's my attorney and (laughs) my friend first. Um, And uh, had texted and said, hey, there's a press conference. And I'd gotten, you know, several text messages. There's a press conference that's getting ready to take place with some of the students that support you. They had met with the archbishop and they want to talk about that. And so at 6.30 in the morning, like I turned on the TV and my life changed forever. And there were four students at the time who became, you know, six of the original Shelley's voice kids who stood up and, you know, talked about their meeting with the archbishop and how they felt like this was something they needed to continue to, to fight for. Even if Shelley was, you know, Ms. Fitzgerald was, was uh, fired from her job, they were going to continue this fight. And I think that there was a a, a switch that flipped for me that was like, you know what, this isn't even about me. I mean, like this, like a couple of days in stopped being about me. And from that time, I think that what I've recognized and what I've grown in this position is that if I hadn't been as blessed to be, you know, my wife makes a good living. And so financially we were okay. I had tons of support around me. I have tons of love around me. And I'm a strong, you know, human being by nature. If this hadn't happened to me, what would this have looked like for someone that didn't have all of these things? You know, and and in the LGBT community, when kids in particular, people don't feel supported, you know, their mental health is impacted. You know, they turn to drugs, um, too often, you know, suicidal ideology. And I'm just, I'm grateful that I've been blessed to be strong in this. Like, I don't think it's an accident that it happened to me because I'm, I'm ready to take it on, but it's not about me. It's about like, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. I don't want anybody to ever feel this way again. Um, and so, that's been really important for me, a turning point to me that it, it, you know, I don't even think about it being about me. It's like, this is the right thing to do. And it was interesting to see some of the, some of the kids who I remember from fourth grade CYO basketball standing up, um, and, and on your behalf and, and being strong. And I, and to your point, because that was the sense that I got. You're exactly right. They weren't like standing against Ron Colley. Right. I don't know anyone who goes to Ron Colley doesn't enjoy it. I mean, my kids absolutely love it. And so it wasn't about that. But you mentioned being there for others. And before Danielle asked some of her questions, because her background as an educator matches yours perfectly, who are some of the people? Random students who you didn't know, people who just sent you a Facebook. I think when you communicated with me on Facebook, you talked about all the messages you've received. What was it like to get a message from someone who you didn't even know who says, thank you? The only word in the, in my English vocabulary that I know that even comes close is humbling. Mm. I mean, I, I've, you know, I've searched for words that, that even, you know, make me come close to being able to express 
what that feels like. And, you know, I've been asked the question a lot of times, how, how are you not mad? How, you know, are you, are you angry? And, and like truly anger has not been an emotion that I've, that I've felt very much. I mean, there are things that, you know, are tipping points for me, but in general, the way that I can express it is that, you know, if one, if, if one person says something bad and there are 10,000, and, and I mean this literally 10,000 things that come in that are good, it's really hard to feel anything else but love. Um, and so I, it, it is, um, it's been humbling because it has come, I mean, the ones that mean the most to me are the ones who, you know, who are people who have supported me my whole entire life and who, who have stood up for me. You know, my parents, my siblings, I mean, like we're closer than ever and it, and it's, it is phenomenal and not surprising, but just a phenomenal feeling. And then, you know, people like my attorney and friend David and his family who have reached out and said, I want to help you to the students who I've worked with, who have said, you know, you've helped me now, let me help you and me helping them in return. Um, but you know, there's been, there've been people literally from all over the world. I mean, and you know, tens of thousands of messages that have come in, who either want to tell my, you know, who want to tell me their story and say that the way that it's impacted or just to tell someone their story so that someone can relate. People who've asked me to come and just meet for coffee so that they could, you know, tell me thanks. People at restaurants who come up to me, we, mm. you know, I mean, people come up to you at restaurants and, and just break down in tears because their, their own journey is so personal and it relates so much. Um, and I, and I'm just such a norm, really a normal, boring, you know, person that, you know, all of a sudden it's like, Hey, this could have happened to me. And you know, it's a check on our own, you know, our own humanity. Let me ask one quick question then Daniel, you can take over. Is it, have, has it been more pronounced among Catholics? Because clearly the Catholic Church is struggling yeah. with this particular issue and how to handle it. And, and Pope Francis says one thing and then, you know, certain things say another thing. And, but, but, you know, when you have Catholic women, maybe they're gay, maybe they're not, but come to you and say, this is the struggle I have every day. The church that I love says this is a sin, but I don't feel it's a sin and you've been a beacon to me. Does that make sense? That question? Yeah. I don't know that it's... Um uh, my group, my bubble is mostly Catholic. So, I mean, yeah, it makes sense that most of my friends that have reached out and, and people in the community that reached out have been Catholic, but really it, it doesn't, um, it isn't limited to Catholicism. Catholicism. I will say in general, it is, um, it reaches all kind of Christianity religions. I've had a lot of Methodist people who now have come because of everything that they're going through in the church. I've had a lot of churches, other Christian churches who have reached out and said, hey, you're welcome here. And these are our stories. But like, I think that, I think that our faith life um, is one of those places where we should feel the safest. And when we don't, we are, it scares us. You know, when we're told this is your community and this is where you should feel safe and this is where you should feel like a group and all of a sudden you're a person who doesn't feel safe in that group anymore, like you want to reach out to figure out how to feel safe again. And so a lot of people have reached out to me to say, you know, how do you how do you keep your faith? How do you, you know, how do you still go to church? How do you still be a part of that community that it, when it feels like they don't want you there? So no, it hasn't been specific to to Catholics per se, but there's been a lot of, of 
people in common of faith that have come to me. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you feel like maybe other people in a similar situation could not have been in a kind of a blessed space to deal mm-hmm. with it, that you felt like this fell at your feet, potentially for a reason, is kind of what I heard you say, and I don't right. want to put words in your mouth. Yes. Um, and because of that, do you see yourself in the future taking this platform and this opportunity you've been given um, to do something, and I don't want to say bigger, because being a counselor at a school with children in a community is, is, is huge, but do you see yourselves, and if, and if so, what do you see that, or do you know yet? I don't know yet. And part of that is because truly until eight months ago, I was doing exactly what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, so we ask teenagers all the time, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? You know, and they're like, I don't know. I mean, it's the same thing for me. It's like, you know, I haven't thought beyond this. Um, you know, right right away when, when this happened and, and we went over for dinner for the first time with Shelly's Voice kids, the kids who have started the foundation, and one of the kids said, so if you get to go back to your job, are you still going to f- stand with us and fight for a change in the contract? You know, and I mean this, you know, wholeheartedly is I'm never going to walk away from this. And I don't know what aspect, you know, I'll be involved in it. You know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not political by heart. Um, you know, I, you know, but I don't know what I want to do. I don't, I don't, I know that I want to stand up. I've always wanted to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves. Um, and I've been given a platform that is a tremendous one to have. Um, I want to change things and I don't, you know, I think that, you know, LGBT rights or women's rights or whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, they're human rights and that's who I want to stand up for. And so, you know, I don't necessarily want to just stand up for LGBT or, you know, but there are, what I have found in all of this is there's a great group of marginalized people who are discriminated against every day that I had no idea. I mean, my bubble was pretty big and it did, it wasn't just a slow leak. I mean, like I got, it was popped in one day and I have been, um, exposed to things that I've never been exposed to. And what I know in, is that, um, I, you know, I, I do, I want to fight for human rights and I want people in general to feel good about who and where they are in their lives. Yeah, it, it sounds like you've been kind of given a gift at the same yes. time. I, I, I mean, that's how I feel exactly how I feel, how I look at it. So you see, uh, you get an email or you get a phone call from a, for about the same situation, but for an entirely different reason. And it's reads, Ellen DeGeneres wants you to come on the show. Talk about that. I mean, we ha- I haven't gotten one of those yet, so I just want to know. I want to know how, Daniel, have you gotten one? Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Might be in the inbox. That's what it is. Uh, it, it is. Them. Check your Facebook. That's, That's where it is. <laughs> That's where mine was. Um, I, you know, it really is surreal. And still, every time that there's an opportunity to do something that I never thought that I'd be able to do I you know I stop and I'm just like like really whose life is this um they reached out about two weeks in um they had tried to reach out to me through Facebook and I I had so many messages that I just and and was trying to intentionally stay away from social media right at that time and so I didn't pick it up and ironically a friend of mine had written a letter to the show who had said, like, 
I know she was a teacher of one of my, of my daughter. And so she was just like, I know them not just as friends, but I know them as parents. And I know them as, you know, at her as an educator and, and, a, and a friend. And, and so she had written a letter to, to the show and, and, turns out that multiple people had written letters which is really kind but they had contacted her to say how do we get in contact with Shelly and so she calls me one night she says um so you're gonna kill me but uh, I might or might not have written a letter to the Ellen show and they might or may not have asked me for your contact number and I might or might not have given that to them (laughs) and so later on that night one of the producers called me and introduced herself and wanted to set up kind of a, a Skype conversation and so we did that um, we had two or three conversations with them over Skype and phone and, you know, they continued to say, you know, Ellen is very interested in this, in, in this story and she's been following it, but you know, we're on summer break right now. And so we'll get back to you and, you know, there's no promises, you know, just to, just to be in, we'll be in touch. And so on one Wednesday night, we got a, I got a call and they said, you know, can you, can you patch your attorney David in with us? And, and he wasn't answering, and so she's like, we'll, we'll talk to him later. Um, so this was on a Wednesday, and they said, next Tuesday we'd like to fly you out, and we'd like for you to be on the first week of, of us coming back to the 16th season. <laughs> I mean, like, it was insane. It was insane. That night, you know, we laid down. It was about, you know, midnight before we finally got, you know, down, and my wife said, are you sleeping? And I said, and no. And she's like, yeah, me either. So we got up and we watched movies for the next five hours because we were just so just, you know, stoked. We couldn't even believe it. And uh, and it's been like that ever since. I mean, you know, Ellen's people are gracious and Ellen is, you know, is is wonderful and life-giving. But it's like there have been so many opportunities that we've had where we just sit back and we're like, like, Wait until they find out just like how normal we are. And, <laughs> well, that's yeah. kind of the heart of the LGBT movement, right? right. It's like, you know, we just, we do everything People. that you do. Just who we love may be a little bit different than, and, and some folks grasp that and some folks don't. Right. So when you get, thankfully more are. Right. So you get to the studio, you get to the actual place where it's taping in this I think Ellen has one of the, I work public relations for a living. I think Ellen has one of the best brands Absolutely. going and this lady walks out and she extends her hand and are you like, Oh my God. Yeah. You know, and the, why her brand is so wonderful is because it's genuine, you know, it's not put on. And I think that that's what I was, I don't know that I was surprised by her being so awesome, but everybody in that building is like that. Um, from, you know, the, the first contact people to the producers, to the people who ask questions to, you know, hair and makeup, which I never, ever thought I would say those words <laughs> in my entire life, but everybody is so genuine. Um, I didn't, because Cher was in the building, another statement I never thought I'd make <laughs> at the same time as, as I was, she was taping at the same time is that I didn't get an opportunity to meet her before I walked out on the set. Um, one, because Cher was there, but also because they were kind of containing me because the students were there. My students were there as well to surprise me. And I had no idea that they were there. Um, and so I didn't get an opportunity to meet her until I walked out 
on the set for taping. And, um, and I can honestly say like to this day, like, I don't remember a minute of it. <laughs> I kind of blacked out a little bit and, um, I hoped that watching it would be like hypnosis and, and kind of, you know, make me remember. But, uh, I do afterwards. I mean, I remember, you know, her coming up and, and meeting us afterwards and calling my wife and daughter on to the set, um, to, to the stage to meet her and thank us. And, and that's what I remember is, you know, how genuine she was about thanking me for being there. I mean, like, seriously, are you kidding me? She comes off as a happy person who's having fun. Like if you watch her show or watch clips of her show, she just looks like I'm really happy and I can't believe I do this for a living and And I'm going to have as much fun as possible. Yeah. So watching the the students surprise you, yeah. um, you know, I'm a mom of four daughters. I work with children for 20 years. I can't imagine what that was like for them. Yeah. And then the surprise of the twenty five thousand yes. dollars towards you know their causes. I'm curious, what do you know, or what have they decided to do with that kind of responsibility of kind of this first step into advocacy themselves? What are they right. looking to do with their? Well, they've done a lot of things, um, and most of it has been kind of branding. Um, they had a great kickoff party last semester where they brought people in and you know and spoke to people, had people sign up for the board and committee positions. Um, in the future, I mean, I think that what they would love to do is, you know, their advocacy has grown from just being about Roncalli in the archdiocese and a contract to being national. I mean, they, they grew national really quickly. Um, they partnered with Indiana youth group, um, which is, is grown them tremendously. And so their intent to do things to continue the advocacy, to fight for people who can't fight for themselves and whether it be through rallies or events where they can go and speak, they've done letters to leaders where they've had opportunities for people to sit down and write their legislation and tell them, you know, what they think about particular bills or how to fight. And I think that that's ultimately what they'll end up doing. No, I think it's tremendous. I do too. When it comes to just being loved by friends Mm -hmm. and, and as we said before, as you said before, strangers, is, has any of it surprised you? I mean, you know, when you lose a loved one and everyone says, you know, sorry about your loss on Facebook or they show up at the showing. Now, those are the kind of the events that people expect some sort of expression of love or devotion or caring. But is, but has any of it surprised you hmm. or is it just the magnitude of it? All of it. Um, a few years ago, my dad was sick with cancer. Um, he had stage four non-Hodgkin's and as he was recovering, uh, I sat at the edge of his be- bed and I said, like, can you, and, and like, again, this is the Roncalli community. This is the community I grew up in that, that rallied in prayer services. And, and I said, can you believe this to him? You know, can you believe the people who have rallied around you? Like most people don't get to see this. I mean, like it's at a funeral, maybe your own funeral mm-hmm. where, you know, if you're hovering above, you get to see this like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and, you know, Fast forward two years later, he said, do you remember when you said this to me? He said, do you feel the exact same? Mm-hmm. And I do. I mean, like, it is, it is, uh, it's humbling. I say again, it is a blessing that you only wish that people could have in their life 
before they're sick or before, you know, they go through some type of tragedy. And, you know, and I don't think of this as, as a tragedy, you know, in that way. I mean, like, you know, someone being sick, losing a family member. I mean, this is not compared to that at all. I mean, there's been lots of blessings and will be, you know, blessings that continue with this. And, uh, but it's the same type of thing. It's to, to feel that kind of love, to feel that kind of support. I mean, like if you didn't, I don't know how you'd get through something like this without faith and support and love. I don't know how people get through things in their lives like this. Has there been a part of it that just flat out made you laugh? Can you think of a moment since last summer that just you laughed out loud because of something someone said or something someone wrote or something someone sent you that just caused you to say, you know what? That's really funny. And, I can laugh at it, this, me. Um, yeah, two things. First of all is that um, in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, I've said so many times, do you, if, you know, people who know me in my everyday life or like every day are like, really? You? Like, <laughs> you're so boring. <laughs> you're so normal. <laughs> you're so, um, so that part of it. But, uh, you know, um some of the, some of the things that we've been blessed enough to do and some of the big opportunities, you know, um, my sister said to me the other day, I mean, like, really you, I mean, like, you're not even that proud. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) like, I, like, I am so proud, but I, you know, I'm like, I'm modest. And so I think that people are just, um, like people who know me are just amazed that this is my life right now. Um, I, I'm, I don't, I don't find it funny, but I think that it's unbelievable that that people, you know, still say to me like, "Oh, I'm I'm girl, I'm fan crushing right now," and I'm like, I am so <laughs> far away from, you know, being that person that that kind of tickles me a little bit, you know, that people recognize me, and I and I the one thing that does make me laugh and everybody else is like, like I'm kind of I kind of only am known because of my hair. And so when I pull my hair back in a ponytail or I wear a hat, nobody knows who I am. <laughs> like, you know, if I wear my hair down, it's like, oh, you know, are you that counselor? <laughs> you know, I'm that counselor, you know. <laughs> what's next? What's next for you? You talk a little bit about the New York Times article, but then you have a big honor, a big night, a big event coming up. Talk about that with us, please, here at Leaders and Legends. We're here with Shelley Fitzgerald, who made news for her courageous stand and for how the community came for her at Ron Colley on Leaders and Legends. Talk about the two things coming up. Uh, So the New York Times, Frank Bruni just wrote a really, really nice article about us a few weeks ago. Um, And Frank was connected. uh, We, Frank and I were connected through one of my really good friends and advocates, Catholic Jesuit priest um, in, in New York. His name is Father James Martin, um, wrote a book called Building a Bridge that talks about how to bring the LGBT community and the Catholic community back together. Brilliant book. Um, Father Martin and I have become friends and introduced, he introduced Frank Bruni and I, who writes for the Times, wrote a great article. And through that all happening, um, Notre Dame has a, uh, uh, Gay and Lesbian Alumni Association that's worldwide. And this year they're honoring both Father James Martin um, and Pete Buttigieg. 
um, who, you know, is, is the mayor of, of South Bend who's running for president. And, um, through this, my wife and I were in, were invited to come to the awards ceremony at, in South Bend to honor these two, you know, wonderful human beings. And, and so we accepted and, Father James Martin has a conflict. And so he's accepting the award via satellite, but he asked me if I would accept the award on his behalf at the at the evening presentation, which, you know, again, floored me. One of these experiences, um, I'm kind of, I kind of girl crush on Father James Martin <laughs> a little bit. Boy crush, is that what that is? Um, he's, he, you know, he's a tremendous mentor to me. And so not only to be able to go to that award ceremony and then to receive, you know, the award on his behalf is, is a tremendous honor for me too. And so. it's happening on campus. It is on campus. And yes, that give you hope? Weeks. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we had a press conference not too long ago, um, where, you know, I've said there there have been schools that have blazed this path before us. There are many institutions, higher education institutions. You know, Notre Dame, Marion College, Dayton, Xavier. Um, there there are you know Creighton University, Boston. That there are universities that are extending same sex benefits to their employees. They're trying to make a campus safe for not just the students that go there, but the faculty as well to know that they are, you know, they're loved and they're safe. And hey, if you do a, a good job and um, we'll support you. And so, you know, no, it doesn't surprise me about Notre Dame at all, because I knew that they were an advocate for this. Notre Dame's asked me to come and speak to their prism and spectrum groups, which are their on, you know, their, their, uh, their on-campus support groups for both their students and for their faculty. They've asked, you know, me to come and speak. Um, and so I know that they're super supportive, but yeah, it absolutely gives me hope. It, it, it has blazed a, a trail for people to not have to do it on their own, you know, for an archdiocese like, you know, the archdiocese of Indianapolis to, to not have to be the first to do it. There have been people who before them that are willing to say, not only have we done it, but we'll, we'll show you the way if, if you're interested in doing so. So very, very hopeful. Terrific. So you've had these platforms you described, some right. surprising, um, some awesome and Ellen and so forth. Is there a platform that you wish you could get invited to speak? A place, an audience, a conversation that you want to have that you haven't been asked yet? Well, my attorney and I joked at the very beginning before like any of this happened. He said, we're going we're gonna to get you on Ellen and we're going to get you in the Pride Parade and we're going to get you on Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper is is the, is the place he is. Um, I like I like what he stands for. Um, he's helped the LGBT community quite a bit. Um, you know, I think that uh, the human rights campaign currently is working with Congress, uh, who have extended the equal rights to to just two days ago, um, to ask for the LGBT community to be protected as a part of the, you know, the, the civil rights amendment of 1964 to say that LGBT are a protected class. I would love the opportunity to get in front of Congress and tell my story and tell, you know, how people are impacted, people of, of faith, um, are impacted and, you know, why normal people, should just be protected through human rights. 
We have reached the point in Leaders and Legends presented by Veteran Strategies and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana for the five questions. Uh, I know Shelly has listened to the TWD podcast, so she knows what's coming, I think. So first question, what was your first job? My first job uh, was working at Arby's all through high school. Uh, for four years, I worked at Arby's. Which one? The one on Emerson and Thompson. You know, I never realized, <laughs> and I guess this is because I went to four IPS schools, that Arby's just stands for RB. Yeah. Roast beef. Roast beef. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, second question <laughs> is, uh, hell, I can't even remember the next question. <laughs> if you could recommend a book to anyone to read, which book would you recommend? Right now, my favorite book is a book called Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. Um, I've read it three times, and Brene talks about a lot about the importance of building a relationship, a lot about sitting across the table with someone who doesn't necessarily feel the same as you do, and how to build a relationship to start that conversation, how to be a listener first. And if you had people who, who maybe sent you a note just, just to expand on that, and they had one opinion or one sort of strain of thought at the beginning of your interaction, and then they kind of changed? Um, yes. I mean, I've had interactions like that, but most of those interactions happened before I was placed on administrative leave. Most of that relationship building, people who maybe thought that uh, would have been on the other side because they knew me as a human being and a friend um, have expressed that they felt differently because of it. What was your first concert? My first concert was Huey Lewis in the news. Well, actually my first concert was the Osmonds and it was at oh the my. state fairgrounds, but I don't remember that one cause I was a little bitty and my mom and dad thought it was, they were really cool. So they dragged us along, but Huey Lewis in the news was my first like Solid rock concert. <laughs> <laughs> I love kids of the 80s. I know, right? Me too. If, I am one. <laughs> that's right. If you could witness any event in history, which event would you choose? Be there as it happened. I mean, and you saw Cher on the Ellen show. I, I did. Mean. I did. Um, probably, like, in looking back, I, I wouldn't have wanted to be a part of this time, but I would have wanted to witness Stonewall uh, because of how important it is, you know, for me today, just the movement of LGBT rights. Um, and my history is somewhat sketchy, but Stonewall is the, it was the gay bar in New York city yes. that was, had a, a, an attack on it in was the mid sixties. It was, was it? in the mid sixties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and coming from Stonewall, you know, the era of, of Harvey Milk and, you know, people standing up who were the only ones that stood up and, and, you know, back then, the reason I wouldn't have probably wanted to be a part of that era necessarily is because you had to be the most outspoken people. I mean, when people were afraid of gay people and what they were, it was because the most flamboyant and outspoken people were the only ones that felt comfortable for talking and everybody else, you know, sat back and, and hid. But it really was the first movement that humanitized, you know, or humanized, I don't know, mm -hmm. um, you know, the LGBT community. It was the first time where people stood up to say, hey, you know, we're human and we're going to fight for our rights. So... 
I can understand, obviously, not wanting to witness it yeah. per se. Uh, last question, and then we're going to give Danielle the last word. Yeah. Last question is, if you could have dinner with anyone in the world, which, who, who would you want to have dinner with? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I know. She's, I, I don't know. <laughs> She's got a cult going that I, is know. something else. And I'm not a bandwagon. And band I don't say wagon. that judgy, but I, I'm not does. a bandwagon, you know, or RGB fan. Like, I'm a lifelong RGB fan. Um, I... I am again when I when I when I what I want to do in my life is I want to stand up for human rights and I feel like that's what she's done and I know that you know I mean she's kind of iconic for women's rights and and uh, you know and things like that but uh, to me I the things that she stood for and being strong and and being a powerful woman and figuring out how to use her voice. And regardless of the political side that anybody's on with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I don't think that people can argue that where she came from and where she is now and who she is and these surgery, I mean, who she is, you know, strength-wise, both mentally and physically, is, you know, is something to be admired. And so I'm, I'm an RGB fan for a lot of reasons. Um, <laughs> do you have a shirt or a hat? Or? I, do, I do, actually. <laughs> I have, I, we jo- I actually have an action figure that I take on vacation with me and, and, you know, take pictures of RGB on, or RBG on vacation with me. So, um, I, I'm all, I, you know, I'm all about self-empowerment, um, and, you know, and, and being, and living your truth. You know, being being an idol to people because of the way you live your life and not just the words that come out of your mouth. And I think that's that's who she is every day. Terrific. Danielle? Well, I think I have to end with a girl question. Yeah. Right? I think... Uh, <laughs> You're a better place to ask it than I hope than it's me. not what my lipstick shade is. <laughs> that's not it at all. Um, no, my question really is so... You're for youth, right? You already yes. said advocating for whatever it is, those youth, giving them support to do so. But specifically girls, yeah. um, I think I'm a part of an organization who recognizes there are different challenges for girls right. versus boys. Growing up is different. So if you could give one piece of advice to a young girl who was trying to find her voice in whatever the case may be, what advice would you have for young women these days? Well, I happen to have a 13-year-old daughter, so I have lots of advice for young girls. (laughs) Can you help me? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have a 16-year-old daughter. (laughs) Um, I have a daughter that if she doesn't do something with social justice, I'll be surprised because she has a heart like no one I've ever known in my entire life. And if every single day I don't remind her I should is to be kind and be yourself unapologetically, but be kind first. Um, because I think that we can be proud of who we are and we can push people to believe that, you know, that they should believe what we believe and I can be myself unapologetically, but at the end of the day, there are people that if I come out blazing might be offended by that. And so always be kind first and always be kind last because, you know, if people get to know you up close, it's really hard to hate people that you love. Um, and so extend that first. Be a listener and and be kind to one another. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Shelley, for your time today. And thank you for your uh, bravery and for your sense of humor and your outlook on life. Um, there's nothing more appealing than someone who can go through a trial with a smile 
on his or her face. And you've certainly done that. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Appreciate everyone listening to Leaders and Legends presented by Veteran Strategies and sponsored by the Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. Danielle, thank you for your time. I can't wait. This is the first of hopefully many. You're absolutely wonderful. And you talk about someone who's fighting like hell for good things. That's you. Thanks for having me. We uh, we're blessed to be a part of this with you. I think Leaders and Legends is an amazing podcast and I can't wait for what's next. That's very kind. Thank you very, very much. And thank you for listening. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Mm-hmm.